Welcome to Elam St. John's Podcast. Our teaching today was given by Pastor Fred Penny, lead pastor at Elam Pentecostal Tabernacle in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. This is a signed Gila Fleur hockey jersey. All right? Given to me as a gift. I wouldn't buy it myself. I mean, I would, but you know, you know how that me- what that means. It's better to get it as a gift. Gila Fleur lived an exceptional life as a hockey player. He's in the Hall of Fame. But in every other way, Guy Lafleur was an ordinary person. An ordinary person with one exceptional quality. He was an amazing hockey player. He could skate like the wind. He could score. And he had style and charisma. And I had the privilege of, you know, watching his career. Five Stanley Cups. Three Art Ross trophies, scoring title in the NHL. Two Hart trophies, MVP, most valuable player. Six Years of 50 goals or more. It's an impressive resume. He retired for three years and then came back and played three more years. Remarkable. And when he retired, he was immediately inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then he played hockey again as an inductee already in the Hall of Fame. Now, what if Guy Lafleur never played hockey? What if he never played hockey? Then his life would be mostly ordinary. Without fanfare or acclaim, like most of the rest of us, just another face in the crowd, as it were, an ordinary individual. You see, Guy Lafleur had his challenges. He had a son who was in trouble with the law. And Mr. Lafleur tried to help out his son. And he was charged with obstructing justice. And he, was, he appealed the conviction and was later the, the conviction was overturned. He was a a chain smoker, and it was likely that that led to the lung cancer that killed him at age 70. He had some business deals. He owned a restaurant. But I would say, all in all, his life was rather ordinary. But one exceptional quality, he could play hockey extremely well. Now here's the question for you and for me. Would you like to live an exceptional life? Would you like to live an exceptional life? Is it possible to live an exceptional life? I say yes. Every one of us 
can live an exceptional life. Depending upon exceptional faith and obedience to God. This exceptional life, many people bypass. Many people choose to not live an exceptional life. They choose to live an ordinary life. Now today, we just had a baby dedication. Little Alana. The future awaits. I'm sure that she is absolutely brilliant. She's a a little genius. Exceptional, I'm sure. Now, do you want to live an exceptional life? What if you don't have exceptional ability? What if you don't know how to play the piano exceptionally well? What if you don't know how to paint? What if you're not a musician or a surgeon or a scientist with brand new brilliant discoveries? You're, for all accounts and purposes, you're relatively ordinary like the rest of us. But if you have all of these ordinary qualities, can you live an exceptional life? I say yes. You see, you don't choose... You don't choose to be born with exceptional talent or exceptional intelligence. It, it's, a, it's a mystery. You inherit it. God gifts you. Uh, and you have this rare ability, this rare talent. Whether it's playing hockey or playing the piano or doing brain surgery. Exceptional talent. You might say, you know, I, I don't have that talent. That leaves, me, that leaves me to be ordinary. But here's the thing. You can choose to live a life of exceptional faith. Let me repeat that. You can choose to live a life of exceptional faith. Turn with me in your Bibles, please. To Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham, he said. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering On a mountain I will show you. Now, to appreciate what's going on here in this passage, I need to give you some of the backstory. This is chapter 22. In chapter 12, Abraham was 75 years old in chapter 12. And in chapter 12, God made a promise, a covenant to Abraham. Let's turn back real quick. I'll read a couple of verses from Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 75 years old. He gets this promise. 
Now, Abraham at age 75 and his wife Sarah have no children at this point in life. Age 75, no children. God has made a promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. That's chapter 12 now. When we get to chapter 15, 10 years have passed. Abraham is not getting any younger. He's now 85. And Abraham says to God, God, you've given me no children. Abraham is waiting and waiting, and he's getting older and older. And the word of the Lord came to him, chapter 15, verse 4, and it says this. The word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, chapter 15, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. He's 85 years old. He still has no children. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you children like the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed the Lord. Chapter 16, a little bit of panic sets in. And Sarah, Abram's wife, says, you know, Abram... Perhaps I, I, Sarah, maybe I can have children through my slave girl, Hagar. And so Abram believe, uh, goes along with the idea. He sleeps with Hagar, and a child is born named Ishmael. Now, Abram is a man of faith. He's a man of exceptional faith. I just read you the verse here in 15.5. Abraham believed the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. Good. So what happens in chapter 16? Well, in chapter 16, there's a, there's a trip. <laughs> I, I could say panic has set in. And they, they seem to have to take things into their own hands. Well, what about the exceptional faith now? <laughs> Here's how I would say Exceptional faith is not flawless faith. Exceptional faith isn't flawless. It isn't perfect. And the fact that chapter 16 is even recorded in the Bible is a remarkable testament to the truth and the authenticity of Scripture. And so what happens in the next chapter, chapter 17, you'll notice now in chapter 17, check this out now. Abraham is 99 years old. 99 years old now in chapter 17. And God comes to him and he reaffirms the covenant. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. He's 99 years old. He falls down, and he actually laughs. But God now reaffirms the covenant. It's, it's like, you know, you, you had the mistake. You took things into your own hand with Ishmael. But now God comes to Abram, and he renews the covenant. He repairs the relationship, and I see here a picture of the grace of God. 
that even when we mess up, God doesn't discard us. He comes and he repairs and rebuilds the relationship. And, and now he, he takes it to another level and he says, Abram, your name will be Abraham. And Sarai, your name will be Sarah. He's making a point. He's marking the occasion. This is a momentous event. In chapter 18, the Lord appears again. And this time, Sarah overhears the conversation that they're going to have a baby. And Sarah laughs. In chapter 17, Abraham laughed. In chapter 18, Sarah now laughs. And God says to Sarah, why did Sarah laugh? And God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Chapter 18, verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I, 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 I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, <laughs> you did laugh. Abraham and Sarah, now 100 years old, 100 years old. Now, just maybe put that in perspective a little bit. Abraham lived to be 175. So, so 100 years old for Abraham wouldn't be exactly equivalent to 100 years old for us. But still in all, he's still an old man. And the narrative describes him as old and beyond childbearing years. Okay, now let's go to 22 again. So that's the backstory. God had promised for 25 years. Finally, at age 100, the baby is born, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. And now Isaac grows up. So he's, he could be 10 or 12 years old at this point in time, roughly. And now in chapter 22, here's what, how it reads. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. A test is coming for Isaac. I would say if any dad loved his son, Abraham did. Imagine Father's Day in Abraham's house. Finally. So this is what Father's Day feels like. I've waited a hundred years to celebrate Father's Day. And now God says, Abraham, sacrifice your son. And just notice quickly in passing now, notice the dialogue. Abraham, God, God speaks. He says, Abraham. Abraham replies, here I am. In other words, uh, Abraham isn't startled. He isn't startled by God calling him. It's, the impression is they're talking like they're friends. Because they are. You've already seen here how God has revealed himself, appeared to Abraham a number of times. And in fact, over in James chapter 2, verse 23, James says that Abraham was God's friend. Well, as the narrative continues, verse 3 now, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. No indication of any panic 
any hesitation. The narrative here is very spare in its language, but very, very particular. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, two servants, cut enough firewood, set out for the place God told him about. You see here, exceptional faith, exceptional obedience, no protest, no procrastination. You see obedience. Now, let me ask a question. Has God ever asked you to surrender to him what is most dear to you? In other words, the story of Abraham right here that we're reading about, is that just a one-time event far away in history that I don't need to worry about? God would never ask that of me. And I can write off this story as a historical footnote. Or could I say that God will ask this question of every one of us, that Abraham is not the exception, it's the norm. That God will ask every one of his people, do you love me more than anyone or anything? I would say God will ask this of all of us. The test of Abraham is a test we will all face. Is this not what a baby dedication means? A baby dedication means, Lord, we give back this child to you. This child has been given to us, but this child is from you and belongs to you. That's what a baby dedication is about. Parents bring their baby, God's gift, and they give the baby back to God for his purpose and for his glory. This is what it means to be a Christian. We say, thank you for the baby. We ask for God's blessing. Yes, yes. But don't lose sight of this fact. We dedicate our children to God and for God's purposes and God's glory. This is exceptional faith. Now, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Can you place your faith in God unconditionally? Absolutely. Isn't that the question? You see, when Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died for you, you know what he asked of his disciples and what he asked of you? He says, if you're going to be my disciple, you take up your cross and follow me. That's what he says to us. Paul, in the letter to Galatians, says this. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's discipleship. That's exceptional faith. So early in the morning, Abraham loads up his donkey. He takes the servants. He cuts the wood. And off they go. It's a three-day journey. He's got time to contemplate and think. And when he gets to the place, he says to the servants, Now, servants, you stay here. Me and the boy. This part's just for us. And here's what he says in verse 5. I want you to catch verse 5. He says, We will worship, and then we will come back. That's what Abraham says. Now, notice two things. Number one, in Abraham's mind, what is happening is an act of, of worship. Think about that. We sometimes, you know, narrow the definition of worship 
to Sunday morning for an hour and a half, or Sunday morning and some nice music and a few singable songs, and we enter into worship. That's a bit of a narrow definition, isn't it, of worship? Abraham is about to follow the Lord in obedience to the nth degree, and Abraham says to his servants, I'm going to go over there with my son, and we're going to worship God. Think about that as a worshiper of God. Of course, this is completely consistent with the New Testament. Famous verse, Romans 12. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of the cross, present yourselves as living sacrifices. You see, it's not exceptional to Abraham. It's normal Christianity for all of us. Because of the cross, where Jesus sacrificed himself, you also now sacrifice yourself for him. That's worship, says Paul. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Put yourself on the altar. What God asks of Abraham, he asks of you. Secondly, notice, of course, that Abraham is confident that he's coming back with Isaac, his son. This is exceptional faith. Now, do you want to live an exceptional life? An exceptional life is a life of obedience to God. God is looking for us to have exceptional faith, exceptional trust, exceptional obedience to him. Now, Abraham places the wood on the altar. He, first, he builds the altar. So that would have taken some time. He might have built it, I guess, out of rocks and maybe built it up, you know, maybe the size of that table, perhaps. It's got to be big enough for Isaac to fit on it. So he puts the rocks in place. He builds this altar. He puts the wood on the altar, and then he takes his son, Isaac, and he binds him with rope, and he puts him on the altar, and he takes hold of the knife. I guess if you're Isaac, it will be time to panic. It's been a three-day walk. Isaac has had the wood on his own back. Isaac or Abraham has the knife. They've already started the fire. They're carrying the fire with them, so no one's going to be able to say, oh, I forgot the matches. I wonder what Isaac is thinking. Well, we know what Isaac is thinking, actually, because it tells us in verse 7 of chapter 22, Father says, Isaac, yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. God himself will provide the lamb. You see, Abraham's faith is in God. God is the object of his faith. It's been 25 years. He's the man of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on faith, here's what we read about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so he did receive Isaac back from death. See, we get in trouble when we make faith the object of our faith. Let me repeat that. We get ourselves in trouble when we make faith the object of our faith. Faith in faith, we sometimes call it. This is, this is what's wrong with some of the prosperity gospel, the hyper-faith idea that you can have positive thinking and, and somehow manipulate the circumstances to get God to deliver what you want when you want it. 
That's not what's going on here. Abraham doesn't have faith in faith. The object of his faith is not faith. The object of his faith is God. That's the object of his faith. Verse 11, angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. Now notice, I want you to catch this. The Bible is brilliant. But go back to verse 1. Look at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. He said his name once. Now, in verse, what was that, verse 12, 11, he says his name twice. He's more emphatic. He's more urgency. Abraham, Abraham. Now notice Abraham's response. Verse 1, here I am. Verse 11, here I am. You see that? You know what the narrator is telling us there? Abraham is relaxed. He's calm. He trusts God. He's not flustered. He's not panicking. He just says, here I am. That's exceptional faith. Now you can live an ordinary life with exceptional faith. And if you live an ordinary life with exceptional faith, your life will be exceptional. Amen? I'll repeat that. If you have ordinary life in every other area, but you have exceptional faith, you will have an exceptional life of walking with the Lord. So God says now, Abraham, don't, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you will obey me. Now I know that you trust me. And that's the question he will ask every one of us. Now, some people would say, why? Why did God test Abraham in this way? Why? It's the wrong question. The question is not why. The question is when. That's the question. In other words, when will God test you? Not if, not why, but when. Because God wants to know if you love him above all other loves, if you trust him about above all other means of security, do you trust him? Do you love him? God will test all of us in this way. He wants to know if we really love him and really trust him. Now, God provided the problem. <laughs> it's a big test. God provided the problem. God provided the solution to the problem. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of, instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Yira. Sometimes we say Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. On this day, it is said. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, do you see? Do you see the shadow, the foreshadowing here to the cross? Do you see the foreshadowing here to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? This is the gospel in microcosm right here in this chapter. This is foreshadowing Calvary. And on that mountain, Jesus provided the sacrifice for our salvation. Exceptional faith. Will you put your faith in him for salvation and for everyday living? And now... God says to Abraham, 
17 and 18, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me. God is looking for us to obey him. You know, Abraham is mentioned 76 times in the New Testament. In Galatians, he's referred to as the man of faith. Abraham, the man of faith. And Jesus is a son of Abraham. And Paul says again in Galatians, all those who have faith are children of Abraham. So that is, we are to have the same kind of faith as Abraham has. So you can live an exceptional life if you have exceptional faith and trust in the Lord. That's better than being a professional hockey player. It's better than being in the Hall of Fame. You can live an exceptional life of obedience to Christ. Surrender everything to him. Trust him with every facet of your life. Your family, your possessions, your future, everything. That's all God wants. Exceptional faith. Thank you for joining us today. You can reach us by emailing info at elam.nf.ca or by calling 1-709-579-9678. That's 1-709-579-9678.